Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before the Lord, let us stand and let us affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to once again be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil in sin that binds us. May in the service be cursed as before all of the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fear, depression, destruction, ignorance, selfishness, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation. And so stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness. And may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your holy countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Allow us to find your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. I present this service into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Субтитры сделал 
The letter of Apostle Paul to the Philippines, chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. Now you Philippines know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In order to entice people into the formula of prosperity, oftentimes people are founded on not what they must do from their end in order to fill the will of God in ruling over material prosperity, but they focus on the fact that God desires for them to be prosperous materially. We know that in order for us to be materially prosperous god's desire alone is not enough god desires to save the whole world however only he who accepted salvation in the conditions of god is indeed saved in these words of apostle paul there exists a few moments a few moments that define the conditions of what we must do and these conditions are expressed not in our actions but in our motives and our goals our goals that yield our correct state before God. Everything depends not on what we bring, but how we bring it. What goal we are pursuing, what our heart is like. Our correct state, as far as we know, is an altar according to the norms and standards established by God. So our state must coincide to the bronze altar and the golden golden altar. Whereas our offerings is the sacrifice that is brought upon this altar, which sanctifies the sacrifice and makes it holy. After seven days of the sanctification, it was said that the altar shall be great and all that comes near that is holy shall be sanctified on this on an altar was laid only that which was holy oftentimes we question what is holiness a whole flock all of the sheep are pure but not one of them is holy some think that if a if it's a sheep that means that it's automatically holy you're you're, you're incorrect. Sheep, although they are pure, they are unclean. Clean is only, holy is only that one that is chosen from the flock, that is um, verified to make sure that it meets all of the requirements to be a pleasing sacrifice to God, and then is brought up on this altar of offerings. Holy means separated from, from what is pure, from what is clean. This is what holy means when the word of god when the apostle paul talks to us through the word brothers saints those who are partakers of the calling he calls all holy why because they are people who have separated themselves and have presented their their bodies as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to god same thing here in order to understand this essence 
We need the motive. I offer myself on this altar, meaning I forget myself, I rebuke myself, I search for that which God wants. But people offering their tithes unto the Lord, in these tithes they search for if you give 100, you will get $1,000 back. God can uh, multiply your blessings and so forth. For God, again, I repeat, it's unimportant what we bring in what measure we bring it. Obviously, the measure must coincide to tithes. It must be a tenth. But the widow brings her daily food. Jesus pays attention of the apostles on her and says, Look, she has placed more than all of these rich men. They bring from all their abundance, but she brings a sacrifice. What is a sacrifice? This was not tithes. Yes, uh, she was part of the tithes. She was clothed in the format of tithes. She was a sacrifice. She had to hunger. She had to not just fast, but to hunger. She decided to remain in hunger and to bring this offering. This offering, this sacrifice, is when we separate, when we rip away from us. This is that which is necessary to us. Sometimes we say about this necessary, I want to dedicate this to God. David had an instance before. He had de desired greatly in battle. In the well of Jacob at this time um, was surrounded by the enemy and he says, who will give me from the well of Bethlehem? And there were three people. They had returned giving him. They had to go through the enemy tent camps. Of course, there were they were surrounded by all the enemies, but they had to gather this water and bring it to David. And when he was brought this water, he had strongly desired this water. He said, I can't drink it. This is the blood of men, men who had brought it. And he poured it out to the glory of the Lord. How do you think the mind of a person, how to the glory of the Lord? How do you just take and pour this out on the earth? Yes, he just poured it out on the earth that this is necessary for him. He did this for the glory of the Lord. People will never understand you, will never understand you. They will never understand your, sacri your sacrifices and your love toward God. This isn't as important. It's important that God understands you. Therefore, let us take a look at what Apostle Paul writes in Philippines. What gives the sacrifice? He says, because you have given me uh, concerning giving and receiving, and I have received everything in abundance. And he says that giving is the opportunity to accept the authority established by God. When we give, we give to the authority of the person who stands at the head of the church. And he says that this is a way to accept this authority. If we want to accept God, then we can accept him only in the face of the person that's been established by God and to accept him. We need to separate to him. This doesn't mean just to, to his needs, but just in his control and his use. Apostle Paul had received many, much, but he did not use all of this for himself. He had received from some and he gave it away to others. 
who had a need. Of course, he had used this also for himself, but we must understand that each time when we honor God in tithes and offerings, this is first and foremost a way of us accepting the authority established by God. You say before God, Lord, I accept the person whom you have established to preach to me the word. Second, giving is the, fr is the fruit that multiplies for our benefit. Apostle Paul says, I do not... Um, I seek for the fruit that will multiply, that abounds to your account. Third, giving, he says, is a kind of sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice to God. And fourth, giving is the way to fulfill all of our needs, supply all of our needs. And we oftentimes say that when God supplies all of our needs, this does not mean it's... Our needs are that which we want, but what God wants for us. Because our desires very rarely coincide with the, with the desires of God. And that which we consider necessary and that which God considers necessary also differs. Therefore, we must rejoice in that which we have. We must rejoice that we are the children of God and that what awaits us is a great future, a glorified future. The whole earth will each of you will have a kind of riches and a kind of joy that today if you take all of the riches and you take to you it will be nothing in comparison to this of course in order to trust this you must trust in God and continue among all of this calamity and this dissipation when this is not giving in churches but this is the begging of money when people are lied to, when they are told, can you give even more? Who will give more? Let's cast out the spirit of poverty. What are you talking about, the spirit of poverty? We are honoring God with that which belongs to Him but is in our control. And if we give above tithes, this is already a sacrifice. We rip it apart from ourselves. Because to each of us, for each of us, we have a way to, we say, this will wait. But the house of God, the food in the house of God, for me, is primary. Other things are secondary. Therefore, we will honor God in tithes and offerings right now. And we will honor Him and express our love toward Him and accept His authority over us. Let us stand, let us sing together. After the sunset will be a glorified morning, the song is called. Therefore, despite that night that has perhaps come upon us, we will remember that the night will not last forever. There will be the glorified morning that comes. Prophet Isaiah says, there will not always be darkness. And we trust in this glorified morning, the resurrection in our bodies. And therefore, after the sunset, a glorified morning. Honoring to, honor to God in tithes and offerings is the quintessence of the preparation of our heart to hearing the word of God. Each time Israel had honored God in tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received from God, to raise their hands over their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. 
We, being that same Israel, tied to that same root, drinking from the fruit of the same olive tree, will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give in purely, I did not give in sorrow, and I did not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your rain come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated.
Субтитры 
And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain great mystery of the relationship between God and man and the great word and calling of God towards man. Matthew 5, 45 and 48. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. <clears throat> the sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. It starts this book, this calling, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. This is a commandment. Here we see the name of God. Here we see the very first word that resounded in the universe and created the universe, that you may be. Let there be light. And there was light in, the he in Hebrew. This is the name of God who is, that has no beginning or end. May you be the sons of your Father in heaven linked to the path that leads us to perfection. We have been studying the path that leads us to God as to our groom in the symbolic story of the path of Rebekah to Isaac and have been studying the signs presented in the bride of the lamb. Rebekah presented these signs in the virtues of the lily of the valleys upon which we are called to look with the eyes of our heart. <clears throat> look at the lilies, how they grow. You see how the process of life flows through this lily, not just that outward form of the lily, but how, in what way is this outward form made, the process of life that flows through it. And we are called to look at, upon it as an example to form ourselves into the image of perfection that is in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. And for this purpose, Rebecca, she left her nation, her house, and her former life, so she may go to her groom Isaac by following Eleazar, the overseer of the house of Abraham. As much as we know, Eleazar is presented in Scripture as a symbol of the Holy Spirit that had come down upon the disciples of the Lord in the day of the celebration of the Pentecost to bring the small flock into perfection in Christ Jesus. We note that the name Eleazar means God is our helper. I will send you a comforter. We note that in our situation celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is receiving the Holy Spirit into our heart. Receive him not as a greatly honored guest, but as the Lord and Master of our life, which will allow us to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit 
upon the conditions that are written in Scripture so we can be led by the Holy Spirit and have evidence of our sonhood. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God, Romans 8.14. But if you're not being led by the Spirit of God, then you are not a son of God. We note that with all of this, specifically during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we receive the unique and destiny-affecting ability to either receive the Holy Spirit in the form of our Lord, the Lord of our life, to then receive from Him and in Him strength to perform a complete and total separation from our nation, from our house, and from our corrupt desires. To then, in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, bear to God the fruits of righteousness, that is, lead a godly life that carries the power of the resurrection of Christ, or receive the Holy Spirit in the form of a dear guest and continue to remain in the dependence of your nation, your house, and your corrupt desires. A person not taught how to receive the Holy Spirit as the Lord of his life will never be able to bind himself to the Holy Spirit and understandably will not be able to be led by the Holy Spirit in result or to follow after him to perfection the perfection that is in Jesus Christ in result this person will lose his sonhood or his salvation we've noted more than once that in accordance to scripture a person can speak in tongues and not have insufficiency in any gift and at the same time remain a person of the flesh not having the spirit and will resist all that comes from the Spirit of God. Apostle Paul said this directly to the Corinthians. You don't have insufficiency in any gift, but I couldn't speak to you as people of the Spirit, because you are people of the flesh. A person of, uh, that is in spiritual childhood uh, resists the things that come from the Spirit. They don't have the Spirit means that they received the Holy Spirit not as their Lord and, and Master, but as a guest, and he then left. The speaking in tongues gift, they still have, it remains, but the Holy Spirit left. And you've all uh, born and grew up in those kinds of churches where the Holy Spirit was a guest. He was invited at every service as a guest and sang songs to him, Holy Spirit, you are a, a guest from heaven. And he remained a guest there and People would leave and completely not think about the fact that if he came as a guest, then why have you left him? Why? If he remains there and you come back and he's still there, then you don't have to re-invite him every time you're coming into the service. For such happens with everyone born from the Spirit. You don't know... Uh, where he goes or from where he came and where he's going but this is a the false interpretation is to be able to uh, confirm in themselves that the Holy Spirit is their guest that they can do whatever they want and command the Holy Spirit and tell the Holy Spirit what he should be fulfilling the fulfill fulfilling their their personal will even the sinful desires they have Therefore, speaking in tongues and practice, practicing spiritual gifts is a spiritual experience, but it is not called to make us spiritual and to change our character into the character of Christ, the character we inherited from the sinful conduct and life of our fathers. Therefore, to change our character into the character of Christ, we are given the truth of the cross of Christ contained in the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh, called to separate us from our nation, our house, and our fleshly desires. In a particular format, we have already looked at the essence and the difference between our cross and the cross of Christ. These are two completely things. 
Jesus had his cross, we have our cross. When Jesus said, who will take, not take up his cross, he didn't mean to take his cross. No one will be able to carry the cross of Christ. This was his cross. And no one will be able to carry the cross of their neighbor. We look at, a, at a, another person and say, how is he able to take all of this? They are able to because it's their cross. But the cross is not in suffering. Think People think that cross is suffering. And I said this more than once. As soon as I came to America, one brother approached me from the Pentecostal service and said, yes, it's good for you. You have a wooden cross, but I have an iron cross. He meant his wife. You have a good wife. She's a wooden cross. But mine is a... She cheated on him left and right. But in the church, they said, you don't have the right to leave your wife because a second wife is a sin. You can't remarry. You can only keep your own. And she just betrayed him continuously. And he continued to live with her and thought that this is this iron cross that he's supposed to carry. And I responded that my wife has never been a cross and will never be a cross. That a cross is not a wife or a husband or a children, but... One brother had said, these uh, back chewers, children are not back chewers, they are a blessing. People think that children and the wife, the husband, these are crosses. The church is a cross, the pastor is a cross, even they, they may even think God is a cross for them. And the thing is that people didn't understand the purpose of the cross. And some preachers shout, the cross is not just a stick. We know that cross is not a stick, but explain at least what the cross means. People don't know what the cross is. The only thing that they know is the cross is not a stick. It's not just a wooden stick, uh, but what they can't explain in full. And so they say, speak of baptism of fire, that it's talking about the cross, about some kind of suffering. But I tell them, so when you were baptized in the water, did you suffer this but when God baptized you with ho the Holy Spirit was the suffering, you rejoiced or what? Why do you think then that you will be in horror from baptism of fire? From where did you get this information? God is the fire who can live amongst the all-devouring fire. When you're s surrounded by the fire of God in God himself, do you really think you will be suffering? You're going to be experiencing such a level of blissfulness that you have never ever experienced in your life or a person has never experienced but people said these things and even great examples of faith as they were so called uh, said that the, these just this means great sufferings baptism of fire we have been studying the next question by what signs are we able to determine that our cross collaborates with the cross of christ and not its counterfeit and such signs as we've already concluded are the fruits of resurrection in the fruits of the tree of life that bears fruits 12 times giving its fruit each month which is called to be the kingdom of heaven within us and so the evidence of the kingdom of heaven within the heart of a man is the grown tree of life in your heart from the seed of the kingdom of heaven that a person is conceived by when he went out of the position of childhood because a child is not able to be conceived uh, by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because he's a child. 
he no or or she they don't have yet this egg uh, for the egg to be mature you need to uh, enter into the level of perfection into maturity <clears throat> a person receives salvation as a guarantee but when he grows spiritually <clears throat> if he allowed this guarantee to be in invested you 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 receive the ability to be conceived by the seeds of the kingdom and as we know the key that opens the path to the tree of life are the 12 pearly gates that re reveal our abiding with Christ in his trials because we see that the 12 pearly gates and inside Jerusalem the tree of life is there and to enter in through you need to enter through the pearly gate to be able to enter in to have access to the tree of life and these 12 gates are a symbol of our uh, su uh, overcoming trials with Christ suffering for the truth Luke 22 28 through 30 but you are those who have continued with me in my trials and I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my father bestowed one upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel and so the kingdom of heaven which we see as the inheritance of eternal life is presented in the Eden of our heart in the image of the tree of life that where where God meets with us and communicates with us this is the image of the tree of life that bears fruit 12 times giving its fruit each month and the leaves of the tree for the healing of the nations the 12 months of the holy year where the tree of life yields its fruit each month are the fruits of resurrection or the fruits of righteousness that we have been studying in the feasts and the signs that happened within each month of the holy year to be able to determine what fruit we need to bear to God what this fruit needs to be of or consisted of we had been studying this the feasts and the signs that uh, were within each of the months of the holy year and it began with the month of Nisan or Aviv which is about May springtime this was the first month and <clears throat> the 14th month of this month was the Passover <clears throat> and in a particular format we together have already looked at the fruits of our spirit presenting the symbol of the fruits of the tree of life that were yielded within the first new three months of the holy year and have been studying the fruits of our spirit symbolizing the fruits of the tree of life in the new fourth month of the holy year by the name Tammuz that we are called to bring to God to be in accordance to the likeness perfection of that is in, in our like our Heavenly Father in Israel in the 17th day of the fourth month of Tammuz the people fast in memory of the two broken tablets of Moses in Israel the days of the fast were considered the days of the demonstration of sorrow where a person hungered his body and in the time of prayer spread out under himself sackcloth and ashes to show God his sorrow and the humility of his soul Isaiah 58 5 is it a fast that I have chosen a day for a man to afflict his soul is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord <clears throat> God didn't see things exactly as Israel considered or thought that he did God in his visions and God by the means of activating his grace intended on changing in the root the consistency and atmosphere of the fast from sorrow to gladness and cheer remember what Jesus said don't be as the Pharisees that cover their head and um, 
with with ashes and want to show everyone that they're fasting, but you uh, put oil on your head and don't tell anyone. This is only before God. You need to, uh, before God, show the sorrow, but you don't need to show other people that you are in sorrow or, or in mourning. Let this be only before God. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, And the seventeenth day was when the tablets were broken. The fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth shall be joy and gladness and cheerful feasts for the house of Judah. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Zechariah 8, 18, 19. So these fasts that they are doing, they will be a joy and gladness for them upon the condition that they will love, truth, and peace. In this situation to examine whether the breaking of the two tablets of the covenant truly happened specifically in the 17th day of the fourth month, it is enough to count back 40 days from the 17th day of the fourth month, which will put us at the seventh day of the third month. This was the day of the new moon when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. And so when the 40 days finished, the 17th day, he returned and he broke the tablets of the covenant. And so, again, this was the day of the new moon when Moses went up on Mount Sinai. If you want to find out, this was the, the, the seventh day. In the third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on the same day of the new moon, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. For they had departed from Rephidah, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped, camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Exodus 19-1-4 through four, The new moon of the third month is a symbol of birth of the new person created in accordance to God in righteousness and holy truth. The forty days within which time God wrote the Ten Commandments of His covenant with the nation of Israel is a symbol of the state of spiritual childhood. The breaking of the two tablets of the covenant was a mark of coming out of this or exiting out of this position of spiritual childhood into spiritual maturity, where we also see the days of purification finished. And only after the days of purification were finished on the 40th day, a male child was able to be presented before the Lord to be dedicated to God. Jesus was also dedicated in, in the same way. When he was dedicated, he, and so he was born to die on the 40th day. This was his dedication for the work that he was to do so that he would be broken and when again these 40 days were finished the days of purification now in the days of our purification according to the law of moses were completed they brought him to jerusalem to present him to the lord as it is written in the law of the lord every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the lord luke 2 23 We know that in Scripture, a symbol of purification is a symbol of justification that a person is able to receive freely by grace in the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. In the fourth month, those who lived on elevations approached the harvest of wheat, and the first grapes would begin to mature. It was the start of the summer heat. 
Upon practice, each feast was accompanied with some sort of harvest, or more accurately, was the harvest of some kind of sowing. We have been studying the 40th day in which the days of purification were completed, that were marked by the breaking of the two tablets of covenant, where we see the destruction or elimination by the teaching of Christ, the handwriting of requirements that was against us. Colossians 2:11 through 15. In Him you were also circumcised in Jesus Christ. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him from, through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. We were broken together with Him. We died together with Him, for our nation, for our house. And for our life, and we were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. He took power from the principalities and powers because the power of sin is the law of Moses. He took away this power because he brought another law. With this law, he destroyed that law. Colossians two eleven through fifteen. If a man will not bear fruits of the new fourth month that is revealed in the two broken tablets of the covenant, so that he can have evidence of the fact that. He is in Jesus Christ by the law of Moses, died for the law of Moses, so he can live for God and live by God. Then he will forever lose his salvation that he received in the format of a guarantee. We are given in credit the salvation when we receive justification, and we need to invest it so that we can regain it, so it no longer be credit or a guarantee to us. This will be then the righteousness of our heart. Here's what Galatians Apostle Paul says in Galatians two nineteen. And twenty, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. I, together with Christ, am crucified, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. My nature is crucified. My nation, my house, my nature,、uh, is all crucified there. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. In these two broken tablets of the covenant, we see the results that come from the confrontation of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. One law, if you remember, the tectonic、uh, plates in the ground, and when they clash between each other, when they part and then they then、uh, and they separate again, there's a great earthquake and volcanoes. Where these、uh, tectonic plates are,、uh, or where they're moving, there's a lot of、uh, volcanoes there and earthquakes, and so these two laws are truly like this. There's a continual confrontation between the two, and some kind of、uh, shaking, the moving. One law gives power to sin, and the other law taking power from this sin. Both laws by themselves are godly, and together present the holy. Eternal and unchanging in its essence, nature of God, as well as His holy, good, and unchanging goals. 
Therefore, before we die, by the law, for the very same law that gives power to sin, so we can live for God, it is necessary for a person to be born from the seed of the word of truth. You need to first be born, and then being born from God, you then die for that law. And when you're born, the law still works upon you. You're a child, you still don't understand what righteousness means. You are given justification but you don't understand it you can call yourself a baptist or a pentecost or whatever you may call yourself but the law of moses still has effect upon you and you are under the law you think that you're under grace but you're under the you will be under grace when by the law of moses you die for this very law of moses and this can happen when you come out of this position of spiritual childhood you will not uh, receive spiritual things as foolishness or heresy and will not be resistant of them. James 1.18 Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Only born from the seed of the word of truth can we then stand before the opportunity and requirement to die for the law by the law to give live for God through crucifixion, crucifixion with Christ. We need to differentiate the form of justification that we receive in the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth from the other form of justification that we are called to receive as a con confirmation of the previously received justification, which is the fruit. In other words, the fruit that we grow from the seed of, uh, of, of the word of truth. As there exists a great difference between the seed of justification by how we are born from God and the fruits of the seed, where our justification bears fruits of righteousness and receives confirmation of righteousness. Abraham was a righteous man. God accounted righteousness to him, but this happened in the time of his circumcision. This was a seal of righteousness. And so to bear by the tree of life the fruits of the fourth new month that is demonstrated within our, our heart or the heart of a man as the kingdom of heaven that has come in power identified in the two broken tablets of the covenant establishing our justification in which we are called to bear fruits of righteousness. It was necessary for us to look at four classical questions and these are what is the natural essence or root of righteousness from what wellspring does righteousness come and what is justification also, what characteristics do the scriptures give? The word righteousness, uh, justification, and righteous. Also, what purpose is justification supposed to fulfill? Or in what way is justification supposed to reveal or show itself in righteousness? What conditions or requirements are we supposed to fulfill to receive justification and to be dressed into righteousness? And by what results are we able to judge that we possess within our spirit the tree of life that bears fruit of the fourth month, which is the fruit of righteousness? We note that the etymology of the words righteousness, justification, righteous, and righteousness contain a sufficiency rich in its, in, in its meaning and multiple meanings of semantics. As these words are a revelation of who God is and what God has done for us, as well as what we need to do to inherit all that God has done for us. Righteousness in Hebrew is holiness, it's the law, the covenant, and justification. Righteousness is lawfulness, fairness, it's a commandment, statute, and regulation. 
Righteousness is judgment, justice, fairness. Righteousness is directness, faithfulness, and truthfulness. Righteousness is constance, continuation, and immutability. Righteousness that is in God, the personified righteousness. This explains the character of God. Here we're talking about the character of God, about His righteousness. What does the righteousness of God consist of? Truthfulness, truth, wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, and purity, the resurrection of life, the liberty of Christ. Justification that we already have is eternal redemption, purchased from bondage of sin and death, the elimination of guilt or not inputting of sin to a person of sin. <clears throat> taken into the personal belonging and lot of God, adoption and the resurrection from the dead. The word righteous, when it talks about man here, is a holy, acceptable, and guiltless person. Holy is one who belongs to God, God's belonging. This is an upright person, honest and fair, free from the oath, not bounded by sin, dead to sin, living for righteousness, being in a covenant with God, relying and trusting in God, pleasant, finding the favor of God, honoring God with your tithes and your offerings, abiding in God and rejoicing in God, spreading the fragrance of Christ. Righteousness as holiness, as the work of as a work of righteousness is hope and trust in God. This is accepted by God. Hope and trust in God is seen by God as righteousness. Faith that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Peace with God based upon a covenant with God. Sanctification of your dedication. That it means protection of your dedication. You dedicate yourself and now you protect that dedication by sanctifying yourself continually. If you somewhere came in contact with sin, you immediately repent to continually keep your dedication pure and undefiled by sin. Righteousness is an observation of the justice of God. Righteousness is expressing holiness and performing justice. It's expressing upright joy, remaining in your church. Offering to God a sacrifice of praise, honoring God with tithes and offerings, and revealing virtue in your faith. That, as you know, there's the continual fruits that you have virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance. <clears throat> and so, looking at this truth, be told multifaceted, multi-meaning, and multifunctional statement, we note that the scriptures consider these terms legitimate and lawful in regards to man, only and exclusively within the format and boundaries of the service of justification, as the service of justification is based, in, based on and established upon the law of grace that is contrary to the service of condemnation, which we see as the law of Moses. And if in the service of condemnation the format of the law of Moses carved upon the, stones of, uh, stone, uh, the tablet stones and written by God were given to the sinful and lawless man and in result gave power to sin and condemned him to death, then following the breaking of the two tablets where a person received justification, new tablets of the covenant were carved and written now not by God but by man, 
This symbolizes the implementation and writing of faithfulness and righteousness upon the heart of a man that already, already possesses justification by the fact of his birth thanks to those very same two broken tablets. Considering the fact that justification that a man receives in the two broken tablets of the covenant are the symbol of the new tablets that were carved and written upon the heart of a man was unable to condemn the righteousness of God in this man and actually gave the justification or gave this justified man power to be ministers of the new covenant and perform the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 6-11 through 11, Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which which glory was passing away how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious for if the ministry of condemnation had glory the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in this glory and so what was glorious is not as is glory is not glorious when in comparison for even what was made glorious had no glory in the respect because of the glory that excels for if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Based on this given place of scripture, scripture, we see that the righteousness of God revealed within the boundaries of grace that arose from the two tablets became in the new tablets of the covenant that represent the new heart, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The righteous man, in accordance to scripture, is a God-fearing man, one who honors the law of grace, living by the law of grace, and not sinning against the law of grace, that is not peddling or damaging the truth within his heart. Considering that righteousness identifies and finds itself in holy truth, it is necessary for us to determine which of the two terms is the root and which of the two terms grows from the root. Based upon the definitions in scripture, righteousness comes from the united root of two terms, holiness and truth. Holiness and truth bears righteousness. That's where it comes from. Righteousness is the work and truth is the state holy truth is the state that you're in and so at, and so it reveals itself as a father reveals himself in his son and as a seed reveals itself in its fruit therefore holy truth is the the determination of the state of the human heart holy righteousness is an expression of the state that is contained in holy truth and so this is when a person begins to perform righteousness. Only the righteous can perform righteousness. We cannot perform righteousness to become righteous. We are born righteous and then coming to uh, maturity, growing into maturity, we then perform righteousness. And so, therefore, the legitimacy of righteousness is always examined and confirmed by the spring of its genesis, that is the root of holy truth or the holy word of truth that is written in scripture. Considering that the righteousness of God is first of all the judgment of God or the justice of God, that is the determination of good and evil, we in a particular format in part have already looked at specific characteristics of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. We note that the judgment of any righteousness of God we see in the broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the word of God that in nature is the holy wellspring, holy root, and holy foundation for the judgments of all righteousness. 
Psalm 119.160, the entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. We note that when talking about every word of God coming from the mouth of God and identifying the eternal essence of God, it is the first most truth. We need to always understand this as not just truth, but holy truth, and that it identifies the inner essence of the entrails of God, because God by his nature is eternal unchanging and immeasurable in its natural essence and firstly is everlastingly holy, separated from evil and from all things. Due to this, the righteousness of God is firstly always holy righteousness, eternal and unchanging and unconditional. The word holy first belongs to God and only after to those who are born from him. And the essence of this characteristic is that God is holy by his eternal nature, he is eternally separated from evil, and is not part of any found evil. The love of God is firstly, oftentimes people say, God's love is unconditional, it is unconditional in one's con upon one condition, and that is, it is firstly a holy love, and therefore is a selective love, and not necessarily unconditional. Therefore, God, a priori, is not able to love that which in its beginning is not holy. If it came from the devil, God cannot love, uh, love this person. His love, holy love, is always proportionate to his holy hate towards evil and lawlessness. He loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis and, its, and its be, in its be, beginnings. God loves a person who is righteous but sins uh, he still loves this person until he repents and but the unclean when he falls he doesn't rise up again he uh, will sacrifice he will do many things but all that a, a, a wicked person will do will be wicked things because he will not be seeking the will of God he will be seeking his own personal will he does it upon his own conditions not being called by God not upon God's conditions. That's why some people think that the unclean will absolutely will fall in some kind of sins, sins of the flesh. The devil d did not commit fornication. He wanted the position of God. He wanted to show that this praise that he was head of at the time, the praise that he was the, the, the head of, he wanted this, uh, all, the, all of this to be for him. The apostle said, it is not us, it is God. Don't look at us as if we did this with our own power. It is Jesus that you crucified who did this. And so love, God loves with an unconditional love all that is holy in its genesis or its beginning and hates with an unconditional hatred all that is lawless in its genesis or its beginnings. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 45, 7. Apostle Paul spoke these words in Hebrew. Hebrews as well. Righteousness and lawlessness are two battling with each other programs that out of a programmable system that is either a person or an angel are unable to reveal themselves or function. God from the beginning loved his holy righteousness in man and angels. His righteousness, his program that he placed into man and angels. And in order to place it there, 
it is necessary for this person to collaborate with God, for, for a person to be hungry and thirsty for this. And from the beginning hated the profane to him lawlessness in man and angels together with those men and angels. Further, carriers of lawlessness as the angels that did not keep their position, the angels in the beginning they were pure but did not keep their position, as men also who did not accept the love of truth and defiled the temple of their spirit are vessels of his sun-scorching and powerful wrath. At the same time, carriers of his holy righteousness, keeping themselves from getting in contact with the lawless and with lawlessness, are vessels of his mercy, as it is written, Romans 9:22-24. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory, over us whom he called, not just of the Jews, but of the Gentiles also. He prepared them for glory, although they did not see this glory yet, but it was inside of them, but they didn't see this outwardly. But God prepared that, and in a specific day, God will cover them in glory before he raptures them to show the difference between those those who serve him and those who don't serve him in the specific format as much as the lord has allowed in the measure of our faith we have already looked at the personified essence of the righteousness of god that is in the heavenly father the son of god and the holy spirit and have been studying the righteousness of god in the holy people in the format of their justification and their righteousness therefore we shall continue to study the purpose of the righteousness of god and some aspects of righteous ways or paths of God by which we, we will be able to judge and other aspects we also will see in scripture and after which we will turn to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. To be righteous or to satisfy the requirement of righteousness that is obtained in the broken tablets of the covenant is to establish a straight path or path in accordance to wisdom, understanding, and counsel of the Lord. Proverbs 21, 29, 30. A wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. If you paid attention, in the given place of Scripture, a hardened face is the definition of a person that is unclean, that distorts or corrupts his path before God. And this corruption consists in him placing his mind and his wisdom in the place of God's mind and wisdom. At the same time, the face of a righteous man is defined by him keeping his path straight before the Lord. And to keep your path straight before the Lord, it is necessary for the righteous man to reject his own personal intellectual abilities when deciding good and evil for the benefit of the wisdom, knowledge, and counsel of the Lord that he is able to receive only by being instructed in the faith. Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. <clears throat> and so our paths... These are our thoughts and words that come from the flesh. Our acts are behavior that is inspired by the flesh. Our ideas and our goals presented as the will of God. These are being led by prophecies that contradict the spirit of the word. These are good deeds or virtues that come from the flesh. <clears throat> this is seeing gifts as the fruits of the spirit. This is being led And so these are our paths. 
that can appear to us as straight, especially when we ourselves uh, choose our position or purpose in the body of Christ to teach, to give, to teach, to give, or to evangelize, absolutely not considering or suspecting that this is a straight path, but only to death. It only appears to us as straight, but this is the path of death. The straight path is the revelation of God that comes from the Urim. This is the path of the commandments and statutes of the Holy Scriptures. This is respect of the structure order of God's theocracy. This is accepting over yourself the authority of the delegation of God. This is the thoughts of the righteous. This is being led by the Holy Spirit. This is a path that is forthright, faithful, straightened out, righteous, straight, just, and fair, truthful, correct, pleasant, and pleasing to God. Jeremiah 35:15. It says, I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets. God revealed his paths, his ways, I also sent to you all my servants and the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now everyone from his evil way. Because each one, how they thought was correct, that's how they behaved. Amend your doings and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Other gods that the unclean and the wicked man worships and brings incense to is first of all his personal mind and his own personal wisdom that he obtained in the format of a program from his genetic, genetic line contained in the seed of the sinful life of his fathers. The essence of impurity or uncleanness itself consists in the fact that the unclean always places his mind equal to the mind of God. Hear what the unclean says in his heart. They speak these words in their heart, Isaiah 14, 13 through 15. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest side of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol. Considering that the descendants of the unclean, unlike his, their father, the devil, do not know God the way they did and have the way he did the unclean and have contact only with the delegated people of God that are dressed into the power of the Urim and the Thummim that they always just as their, as their father the devil in their heart see themselves in the place of God's delegated people and just like their father the devil ascribe to themselves those moral and ethical characteristics and that anointing that the delegated persons of God have, but their personal evils and flaws they ascribe to the delegated authority of God. Ezekiel 28, 6-8 Therefore thus says the Lord God, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit, and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. 
In this way, the righteousness of God, abiding within the heart of a person as evidence of the two broken tablets of the covenant, are called to be determined within a man by the fact of his straight paths before the Lord, identified by his inclined ear to hear the preached word of God to be able to listen to God. An inclined ear is the result of such a form of humility that is based on a wise and willful decision to submit yourself to the will of God, knowledge a person obtains by being instructed in the faith, having the virtues of a student of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty seven through 30 All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so all by learning, but no one can call themselves a student of Christ directly <clears throat> because no one, Jesus doesn't teach anyone directly. He sent his, his apostles, his prophets that would be able to pass on the teaching that he'd pl he placed into their heart by the Holy Spirit. But a person says, no, I'm also a prophet and all, God also reveals to me. These, those that said this to Moses those that God reveals to us also reveals to, things to us also uh, the earth had opened up and taken them in and now we will turn to study the next question this is the purpose of the righteousness of God within the heart of a man or what goals are we to pursue when it comes to the righteousness of our heart and what means are we to called to utilize for the righteousness of our heart so we can fulfill our purpose. The purpose of the righteousness of God within the heart of a man that he received by the two broken tablets of the covenant is called to give man the right to rejoice in the Lord and praise the Lord. Psalm 33, 1-5 Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. What is the purpose of righteousness? To rejoice in the Lord. This This is... These words are directed to the righteous. When the righteous rejoices in the Lord, this is righteousness. This is the work of righteousness. You may say, but how can we show the works of God? This is to believe in the one whom, he, whom I have sent, God says. And he will begin to explain these works of righteousness. Re rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. You see, the righteous are called to praise the Lord with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings, sing to him a new song, play skillfully without a sh with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Pay attention how the command to rejoice in the Lord is spoken to men who are righteous. We see that in this command, the requirements of how a righteous man needs to rejoice in the Lord. First, the righteous are called to praise God with harp and make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings, singing to him a new song. The righteous are called to praise God, singing him a new song with the harp and the instrument of ten strings skillfully and with a shout of joy. The consistency of a new song needs to be with the revealed righteousness of God obtained in the two broken tablets of the covenant where God revealed his righteousness and judgment which is for the righteous the mercy of the Lord that fills all the earth and for the unclean and unfaithful 
to reveal the power of his destructive wrath. It's talking about such a new song that is the confession of the faith of our heart in the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. You think that when people sing that my his blood has redeemed me, that they truly are singing a new song. To sing a new song, you need to be a new person. You need to be justified and you need to sing it as righteousness. We will sing this song eternally. And in heaven, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, they laid their crowns down and they sing a new song. Lamb, you are worthy to receive. For you were slain for us and you redeemed us by your blood from all nations, languages, tribes, and peoples and have made us kings and priests and we will reign on the earth. The 24 elders and the four living creatures are uh, dem are are the representatives. These are from all nations and all peoples. These These four living creatures, the four teachings, people that are in the four teachings that have three within each one. So the righteous man is a new man created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. A new song is the truth about the blood of Christ that is contained within the boundaries of the teaching of Jesus Christ that came in the flesh. Revelation 5, 6 through 11. For some, when I talk about places, when I explain places of scripture with my words they say there's no places of scripture like this so I need to I will read them Revelation 5 6 through 10 and I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. These bowls had the prayer of the saints. Everything that will happen when the wrath of God will be pouring out will be your prayers. These will be your judgments, your righteousness you need to learn to proclaim the righteous judgments of God upon the earth and upon impurity not a tolerant love but God's judgment and they sang a new song saying you are worthy these 24 elders and the four living creatures you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth you need don't need to interpret it's already explained here being a young person I oftentimes heard from the uh, religious leaders the interpretation of the 24 elders the 12 patriarchs and they once said these are the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles together but I told him but it says here that these are peoples of every tribe tongue and people and nation and he said where and I said it's written right there and he says truly it's written there did I never read this before he asked and so with himself he began speak talk talking about to himself about this
and so people uh, and people like this can be confused of all kinds of people not just uh, this man a harp is a stringed musical instrument made up of seven strings the number seven this is presented in this and so what kind of harp we need we're here trying to understand now what kind of harp we need to be using and again it's of seven strings the number seven <clears throat> that is presented in the seven string musical instrument in the heart of a new person or new man is from one side a symbol of the wholeness or perfection of God <clears throat> and so this musical instrument needs to be within us this is a symbol of the wholeness or perfection of God in the heart of a man identified as the perfection that is in Jesus Christ and from the other side this is testimony of your membership to the body of Christ because seven <clears throat> Jesus is placed as head of the church a fullness that is perfect therefore only the righteous being a new creation in Christ Jesus because of their birth from the seed of the word of truth are called and possess the lawful right to praise God with a new song as they are our organic members of the body of Christ that is the church of Jesus Christ identifying the chosen by God remainder the bride of the lamb Ephesians 1 19 through 23 and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in that which is to come and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is the body the fullness of him who fills all and all this fullness that fills all in all is that number seven and so a harp as a seven string musical instrument upon which we are called to praise God with a new song is our like-mindedness and being of one soul with all of the Saints this is our evidence that we are a part of the body of Christ if we don't have one mind if we are not of one heart then we are not able to praise God upon the harp that's why I always consider uh, the uh, songs we sing together as one church when we are all saying the same words together and thinking about the same things. The instrument of ten strings is righteousness in the format of the holiness of God contained within the heart of a person in the Ten Commandments that became the root system from which God by the means of the broken tablets erected from the new tablets in the heart of a man his justification Hebrews twelve fourteen, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord and so peace is talking about the harp and holiness is this ten string instrument seven and ten the difference between the broken tablets of the covenant that were the work of God's hands and the tablets of the covenant that were the work of man's hands is that the first tablets of the covenant that were the work of God's hands that were broken is the holiness of God that is the son of God that was that that was intended for the uncircumcised heart of a man that remained in the position of sin and lawlessness Acts 7 51 through 53 you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so do you while your heart is uncircumcised a person will resist the truth 
You can receive baptism by water, but have an uncircumcised heart. You can be uh, physically circumcised, but not be circumcised in heart. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who we who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. This is the sermon of Stephen. At the same time, the new tablets of the covenant that were the work of man's hands were intended for the circumcised heart of a man that remains in the state of righteousness because he was justified in the two previously broken tablets. And further, the new tablets of the covenant that were of man's hands and written by man's hands are the symbol of the grace of God received into the heart of man from the seed of the word of truth where God does not account sin to you. Because in the broken tablets of the covenant that present the crucified uh, Christ, God reconciled with himself peace between himself and people. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not in putting their trespasses to them. Second Corinthians five seventeen through 19 The next purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of man had the purpose of singing to God upon a new song upon this harp and the ten-string instrument. And it was to be skillfully and with a shout of praise. To sing skillfully is to sing in orderly, to level out your voice in such a way to hear the one next to you that will allow the other voices to uh, unite with yours and to one voice. It's very important. I will read that place of scripture, Second Chronicles 5:11 through 14. And it came to pass when the priests came out from the most holy place, for all the priests who were pl- who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. And the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Hemon and Judeth, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringing instruments and harps and with them 120 priests sounding the trumpets it was about 3,000 people and three different choirs approximately uh, 3,000 musical uh, musicians and 20 priests sounding the trumpets and indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. And the priests were not able to stand because of the glory of the Lord that had filled the house. They all fell down. They were not able to stand. Because the words of the the Lord, the glory of the Lord filled that place. You see what happened when people are like-minded and of one heart. As the essence of such unity of voices demonstrated an unearthly balance, a miracle work of perfection 
that made a person a part of the body of Christ. Do you know how the clouds are balanced? Those wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge. Job 37:16. Therefore, the balance of the clouds that are filled with water that are sent by God for the one to, as mercy and for the other as punishment is this skillful singing. The skillfulness is pre- presented here as uh, of one voice, singing of one voice, is the opposite of separation uh, and disbalance. We see here where the holy people are of one mind and of one heart. 1 Corinthians 1.10 Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak, th- all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. I'm talking about in spiritual things. And even even uh, actual choir, they call it professional choir. Why? Because independent from the power of each voice everyone sings on such a level that they're able to hear the voice of the one next to them as soon as he begins to raise his voice and not hear the voice of those that are around him then the choir stops being professional the choir will not sound beautifully because the person wants to show his voice to raise himself above others, but here you need to show harmony. You need to be joined together and united uh, to be able to have your voice blend in with the rest of the voices. Some t- some voices even that aren't uh, as 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 nice as others, but when they are blended together, uh, a great uh, a, a a great sound is made or great melody is made all know this those who direct choirs and those who know music what uh, the unison uni- of voices uh, joining of voices means here we're talking about spiritual things levelness and skillfulness skillfulness is we see here a balance and the unite unity of voices <clears throat> is also for this we could see that this also helps in uh, Fulfilling or filling those uh, areas that are more weak or weaker areas. Second Corinthians eight twelve thirteen. For if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, and not according to what he does not have. For I do not m- mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply th- your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, when you have much and you take from the much and share with one who has insufficiency, this is blessing God upon the harp and the ten-string instrument, this equality uh, in singing together a new song. This skillfulness is also, again, a balance of voices, is care uh, uh, for the one who are not as strong and the support of the uh, the sport, support of them first corinthians 12:22 through 25 no no much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty but our presentable parts have no need but god composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body. I told the story once of a sister who came to me mourning, and I asked her, why are you mourning? 
and she said, Sister Maria told me that I and the body of Christ, I am... She called, she said that, the sister said that you are the back area uh, and I am the face or the bottom area of a person or the buttocks area. And I asked her, can you, are you able to forgive this sister? And she said, for the sake of the Lord, I can forgive her. But when you forgive, when you forgave her, you became the face and she became the other place. To comfort the sister, we, tr- we truly, when we do this, we are not. We don't have the right to call each other, or even call ourselves as the body of Christ when we begin to say these things to others. And so, skillfulness as the balance of voices or the unity of voices is a unique principle of growing uh, of the holy people into a holy temple where every individual person receives the ability to build themselves into a temple of God by the Holy Spirit. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole bu- the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Again, skillfulness in the unity of voices and levelness is a demonstration of such perfection where a person demonstrates the power of his royal calling. Proverbs thirty twenty nine through 31. There are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk. We're talking here about skillfulness. A lion which is mighty among beasts and does not turn away from any. A greyhound, a male goat also, and a king whose troops are with him. I don't have the time, of course, to uh, repeat or explain the, the, the meaning of these things in this place of Scripture. I just want to sh- shortly uh, speak of the shout of joy. The next purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man to sing a new song upon the harp and the ten-string harp with with a shout of joy. What is a shout of joy? A shout of joy is a demonstration of the faith of God or a signal of 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 uh, emergency so God showed the mercy that this person needs into his life but it came to pass on the seventh day that they arose early and the seventh time it happened when the priest blew the trumpet that Joshua said to the people shout for the Lord has given you the city so the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout and that the wall fell down flat then the people went up into the city every man straight before him and they took the city imagine if they would not have shouted the wall would not have come down even if the trumpet sounded so when the trumpet sounds the nation of God needs to shout out they need to shout aloud come Lord Jesus when they hear the Lord's coming come Lord Jesus they need to shout and so shouting of joy which we see also in the loveliness of voices is the right that you give God to reign over the nations and to sit upon his throne 
Psalm 47, 5 through 9. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with understanding. God reigns over the nations, God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people have gathered together, the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, he is greatly exalted. Psalm 47, 5 through 9. Further, shouting of joy that we see also in the balance of, of, of voices is the right God, man gives to God to submit his enemies under his feet and have a path amongst the great trials or have a path to walk. Psalm 66, 1 through 7. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his precious. Pray, make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the Son of Men. He turned the seeds into dry, seas into dry land. They went through the river on foot. There we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. And so the unclean person, this unclean person with his program was shown in the Jordan that if you remember that the priests, they were holding the ark and they went, entered into the Jordan River, the waters then stopped and, and, and divided the waters so that the rebellious not exalt themselves. Further, a shout of joy shown here in the balance of voices or unity of voices is the expression of boldness to serve the Lord and enter into his courts with praise. Psalm 101 through 4, a psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all your lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. He is he who has made us and not we ourselves we are his people and the sheep of his pasture enter into his gates with thanksgiving considering that our time is up we will right now pray to our lord we will thank him to reveal righteousness or to show your righteousness to god is praising god upon upon those upon that harp and the ten string instrument that's in your heart to sing a new song to god Thank him that we are redeemed because of the shed blood upon the cross, not because we did something ourselves correctly, but that because of the shed blood, we are who we are today. And we right now have the opportunity to worship and to begin to praise God, to sing a new song before him upon those that those harps and the ten string instruments that are within us and that we possess to sing uh, skillfully and with a shout of joy, let us bend our knees and pray. And when we begin to pray, sing this way, Jordan will uh, will separate, will be parted. The waters, the Jordan wind River, will be parted, and our sicknesses will start stepping away. We wait here for you at the altar. The Holy Spirit is here to break the shackles of uh, discomfort and the feeling of unworth. I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe, to trust yourself 
trust entrust yourself to God. He loves you with an unconditional love because you're born from Him. You're holy from your beginnings. You're righteous in your beginnings, and independent. Uh, from what may ha- have happened with you, whatever sin you you may have done, whatever the devil may say about you, whatever the doctors or your neighbors may say about you, whatever your husband may have said or your wife in irritation, the God is on your side. He justifies you, and He is ready to show His glory and His power. Close your eyes, lift your hands to God, pray together with me, Heavenly Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with a broken heart, with my sins, with my shame, with my sicknesses, with my fear, with the feeling of complexity. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me, remove my shame, heal my sicknesses, heal my wounds. I opened up my heart. I accept the seed of your word. I accept your Holy Spirit into my heart. And I want and I ask you that you be the King and Lord of my life. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed. I am justified. I am saved. Amen. Amen. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with a shining face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May all these blessings be upon you and upon your children, and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. And changing manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.